Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, welcome, my awesome listeners. A huge shout out to Dahaka, Austin, Albertville, and Las Vegas as locations for being the biggest listenership of my show in the past seven days. So last week I was hit really hard with COVID and it's still around. So I took some time to recover. Now, folks, those who know me would consider me a determined sort of guy. But COVID, well, this virus is no joke. I started recording 20 minutes of my own narration and had to stop before getting caught up in a coughing fit. That being said, I still did it and have been paying for it since. Nonetheless, I'm going to keep this brief to rest my lungs. Otherwise, I'm back where I started, coughing like crazy. Also. Can you hear that, mates? That's the rain. It's bucketing down, which means possible power outage. But I'm going to make lemon juice, damn it. So let's do this. A huge thank you to Majestic Maya, my Hall of Famer, my brilliant and epic Leza Bauer, who supports me at a white tea water level, you legend, and the many Elgrain forces and supporters, which are just Heather, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffelli, Michelangelo Yacone, Divided by Zero, Leah Fassig, Alia Arcane, Solstra, and Paige Kramer, as well as my central supporter Catherine Mason and my chamomile supporter Sunshine Days. All of you are legends, so thank you. And if you like what I do, consider joining my Patreon. Super easy to Google. It's Stories, Fables, Ghostly Tales Patreon. If you Google that, you'll find me. And you can help me by donating a cup of teas worth the dollar dues a month. And lastly, if you have a couple of seconds spare, visit iTunes and leave a review. Now folks, two creepy tales today, plus a remastered old time radio episode from the Nero Wolf series. I'm bringing you as much as I possibly could today, physically and mentally. <laughs> so have a brilliant week, and I'll join you next week, hopefully, faring much better. Lots of love, mates, and till next we meet. Enjoy. Video file. The round red button starts it all. A lens, an all-seeing eye. A flashing light blinks as the display shows the souls of the innocent, the guilty, and the deceptive. One can see all the little movements the subtle muscle impressions made by the face that we don't always see. The tiniest hint of discomfort, joy, or perplexion. One is omniscient behind the eye of a lens, always watching, hidden in plain sight. The hilarity and ironic value of these facts is realized when the wider perspective is shown. Once you zoom, the camera out, so to speak. For when you do, you will see more than the video camera situated on a tripod. You'll see me. If I were to tell someone about what I'm actually doing behind my camera, they'd likely call me a voyeur, some sort of deviant. I would be little more than a fiend to them. But they'd be terribly, terribly wrong. The ignorance of such words is funny. 
because a single glimpse into what I see would be more than enough to quell the comments. The irony presents itself in that one might expect those who like to spy, to pry and peep, to invade privacy, and to learn more about people than they know of themselves, to be in prison or at least to be in the darkest depths of society where they cannot act out these fantasies as brazenly. But again, they'd be so utterly wrong. I get paid for it. Even more bizarrely, people trust me in public settings. So I would implore one to truly assess the situation with me. Here I am, standing at the back of the dining room of a wedding reception, my little blinking light documenting everything that goes on. I've been allowed in this place, hired even. It's wondrous how easy infiltration is. Mr. and Mrs. Anderson, the newlyweds, are currently on the dance floor, drunk and disorderly. The ceremony was rather interesting. I videoed that too, drinking in each and every little expression they made as they said their vows. My zoom captures so much, it's utterly fascinating. Every blemish was in full focus as I slowly zoomed inwards to rest on Mrs. Anderson's face. Outside of the camera, she's a woman in her prime, 25 and earning five figures, truly a role model and a striking person. But the camera doesn't lie, and I could see it all. I saw the wincing she made as the vows were recited in front of her. I saw as she slipped the ring on how her fingers shook. Underneath it all, she's a rusted and worn has-been. The soul of an old maid inhabits her youthful body. And Mr. Anderson, the personal trainer. I saw that twinkling smile as they were pronounced husband and wife. The one he likely wears when he hits her, too. I know he's a sadist. It takes one to know one. That chiseled, brown-haired man is a facade. A caricature of masculinity threatening to crumble. They show their true colours to me persistently, and I intend to capture it all. They're doing it now, as they celebrate their marriage to the tune of losing my religion on the dance floor. My lens is trained on them. The subtle discomfort when he touches her waist, that desire to peel away. He wishes she was more drunk, maybe then she'd make him excited. I pan away for a few moments, surveying the guests at their tables, analysing their movement, their gestures, making for interesting pieces of this puzzle. Sarah, the sister, sits to my left, armed expressing a story she's recounting. I can zoom towards her made-up face, watching the intricacies of the laugh lines upon her face move. It's focused with her in frame now, and separate from the other hubbub in the room. I watch her lips, hearing the sounds when I really concentrate on her. She's talking about a childhood story. Her and Mrs. Shirley Anderson had an altercation 
some sort of comedic value involved when the former fell over while arguing as children. The words don't matter though, not as much as her face. The twitch as she mentions her sister's name, small tiny lip movements when accepting compliments about her sister's husband. She knows quite a lot. Next, the blinking recording device shifts to the table to the right, where Mrs. Anderson's close friends are all situated, settling on one particular. A lean man, mousy-haired, mild-mannered, and polite, as he shares a joke with his peers. As I zoom, I notice his eyes flitting to the newlyweds on occasion, struggling to engage with his fellow friends as his focus is drawn elsewhere. Marcus is his name. His words are caught by my ears as I watch his lips with intense interest as he talks once more. Something about the Andersons being drunk, that he'd like to go for another drink soon, that perhaps he might dance soon. It seems the idea of being up on that dance floor makes him happy. His expression seems to soften as he moves his gaze once more aimed at the dance floor, towards the new Mrs. Anderson and that fleeting hint of apprehension as his eyes move from bride to groom. I know quite a lot now. Of course, they're none the wiser. I'm just here to document their event. At long last, the party is over. I begin to pack my things away, ready to head home alone in the room, but for one. He comes up to me, the groom, Paul Anderson, in his navy suit, red tie and brown shoes. Even without the lens, I can see his grandiosity is but an illusion. You did just as I asked. Well done for not getting in the way too much. I nod and smile, replying as I continue to put my things away. No problem, I'm just an observer. That's all, right? The man returns with a jovial smile and heads out of the room. The tapping of his feet audible as he goes. I wasn't lying. I am simply just an observer. My laptop displays the contents of the video ready for editing, displayed in full. I watch intently at the screen, eyes fixated on each and every change in expression, reveling in the documentation I have on each interaction. I play back the scenes like a movie, stitching together my narrative. I have created a fall from grace. The ceremony with the snapshot of the couple all smiles, and the fragility they both bring. Next, the meal. Morsels swallowed down in small mouthfuls. Mrs. Anderson's apprehensiveness to eat in full view, her husband looking a little too intently at her as she swallows, just for a second. And of course, the dance. The dance is the best part yet. The trailing of his hands up her body as they dance to the rhythm, her face full of telltale reluctance and tolerance. That's what she is really, a woman of tolerance. The music just masks it all in a shroud of celebration, eyes locked as she tries to break away, his arms keeping him firmly in place. Why do I care so much about people I hardly know? 
their plight is the most interesting part. The fascination lies in their unspoken language, the words they share with no sounds. I know so much about them though through my third eye, and they hide me. So I must finish their story. The last part has yet to be completed. The fall from serenity to boiling point is there, but their ending has been untold. I don't usually break my own rules, but the Andersons have really enthralled me today. And so, as I switch tabs to my camera feed monitor, a small sigh escapes my lips. <sighs> They're sleeping so soundly. Not a single peep. Naturally, they're not embracing, but it's serene sleep nonetheless. I switch them off as I leave, my long coat following me as I go. This ending requires more than just watching. A more personal touch is required. Strolling through the darkness is where I enjoy life. The cold air on my face as I trudge along the hard sidewalks of the sleeping city. I cast my mind back to the pre-wedding meeting. Miss Shirley Roberts, as she'd been known before Paul became her husband, sat in front of me in their nice, tidy lounge, discussing the details of their celebration, what I'd need to bring, pricing and such. I'd had the measure of them before they'd even started talking. Their touching and locking eyes were too performative, as if both were trying to fool one another. Their story was begging, to be told. And here I am, once again, at the abode they'd allowed me into, both knowingly and unknowingly. I creep into the backyard, duplicate house key in my left hand, and the other key in my right. Advancing up the stairs is a slow process. Every sound I make risks waking the two slumbering protagonists in my narrative I make my way ascending with careful footing. I hear soft breathing as I near the top. A mumble and a shift in position. Good. They're still asleep. I'm inside the room now, inches away from my muses. My hand is shaking a little as I place the folder in my right hand in between the two sleeping subjects. I switch my eyes and ears in their house on before I retire to bed. The anticipation of what's to come making sleep difficult. Whoever wakes first will finish my story. I am not disappointed. Not at all. I'm in utter, unadulterated wonder. The camera feed displays blood-soaked sheets sprawled on the floor, fresh from a morning struggle. Two equally disorganized bodies lie parallel to each other, with a blade by Shirley's hand. Cadavers leaking the very same liquid the bed is coated with. And just to their left lies an open folder, a picture of a slight mousy-haired man, and a note scattered not far from it. I began to look over the footage from the beginning of the morning, watching the resulting skirmish that the two could not have ever foreseen. The awakening of Paul Anderson, his hands opening my gift, the realization, and of course the mad rage, induced onslaught with the now discarded blade. I have outdone myself. My predictions were once again correct, 
I know these people better than they know themselves. I know their thoughts. I finally allow myself a smile. My work is almost done. Now all that's left is to finish the video to complete the happiest day of their lives. My ending couldn't have gone any better. Written by Zug Zhuang. Corpse to the power. Now, a few things are slightly amiss here. To clarify, I died just a few decades back. Now, honestly, and it might strike you as hard to believe, this is very easy to come to terms with. All things die, obviously, and all things that don't die are forgotten by the things that do. Even things you might argue are supposed to go on forever, like mountains or time itself, will eventually come either some kind of holy apocalypse, or more pessimistically, the heat death of the entire universe. Fade into the endless beyond. Of course, I was at first terrified by the afterlife, and I lamented over my lost opportunities. My short life. You know, that whole five-stage routine. But after a short while, I have become rather adjusted to the ghost lifestyle. Honestly, the thing that's difficult to grasp isn't the fact that I died. The thing that's difficult to grasp is that after I died, I think I must have died a second time, if that even makes any sense. See, I had been exploring a very old, very decrepit home, as spirits tend to do, and it had really quite a beautiful aura. Lots of garish paintings, cobwebs practically all over the place, torn up couches, walls weathered to time. Honestly, it was the most fine place I'd discovered so far. Unfortunately, that was around when I encountered another ghost, who was already haunting the premises. Now this put a bit of a damper on my day, since aside from the rather unexpected company, this house seemed like the exact kind of place for a sorry old phantom like myself to reside in. Although I now became the slightest bit worried that this other ghost had already laid a claim upon the home. I approached the other spectre, a rather unsightly looking man with a beard and a trucker's cap. With only the best of intentions to ask him, quite frankly, whether this was his haunt or if he was just passing through. As I hovered in his direction, however, he jolted up from the wall and glared wildly at me. He seemed upset, but before I could lay down some explanation to reassure my compatriot, he pulled out a small handgun and shot me. I collapsed onto the floor, writhing and bleeding in visible ghost blood, particularly choking on my own non-corporeal darn ghost throat, trying to scream strange and inaudible ghost curses at my sudden assailant. Then, just as swift as my spirit died against the hardwood floor, the me I am now rose from out of its shell and stared down upon itself. The corpse of my previously eternal ghost body lay stricken on the floor, as I, the ghost of a ghost, hovered beguiled above it. This just happens to be where I am right now, and this event has understandably sparked some kind of existential crisis within me. And stupid as I happen to be, I am so dumbfounded and absolutely smitten by what, from every sense and angle, appears to be the very dead body of a ghost, that I am promptly shot yet again by what must surely be the ghost of some idiotic and insane maniac with a taste for firearms. 
as I yet again rose from my ghost corpse squared, another puzzling dilemma fluttered weakly into my mind. As I have surely been struck before by vehicles and other forms of deadly or generally dangerous implements as a ghost, but how now has that blasted gun in the hands of my bewildered housemate able to murder me with only a simple bullet? The only answer, and I do admit this answer fills me with absolute dread, and a certain sense of cold bemusement, is that the very gun he has fired upon me with, not once but twice now, is not in fact a physical gun one might purchase at some local and very much mortal gun shop. It surely has to be the ghost of a gun, held in the hand of the ghost of a gun wielder. Now this raises all manner of questions, many of which I don't feel liable to ask, nor do I suppose I'd have the answers to. But mainly, how on earth does a physical and by all previous expectations non-sentient object manage to, upon being somehow killed, release a ghost of itself into the world of the dead? Now, yet again, completely thick as I am, I swear I never do learn. I let that other ghost with the itchy trigger finger fire upon me yet again. Meanwhile, I had been completely lost in thought, contemplating the very reality I thought I knew. And at this point, with a veritable dog pile of my ghost corpses strewn across each other on the hardwood floor, I finally lose my temper. Just what do you think you're doing? I exclaimed to the other ghost, who lets up for a moment and gives off just the slightest look of exasperation. Quite a pitiful look, in all honesty. Before I might reconsider my tone, however, he goes and shoots me yet again, square in the stomach, then flips back up into my head. This is where I draw the line, I proclaim groggily, rising as yet another spirit, looking again at the pile of dead me's on the floor. Steaming mad, I began to march over to the man, or at least hover in a way mostly evocative of such a march, the sort of march you might do to intimidate a misbehaving dog, or frighten away a bird on the street, and strike him across the face with the back of my hand. He lets out just the most miserable cry and drops the gun across the floor. Now what did you go ahead and do that for? I speak up to him, barely letting up my manner of speaking. Just like a child might ignore a parent, he simply stares dumbfoundedly at the gun on the floor. After a moment or two, he finally takes a step forward and tries to get it, though I react rather quickly and pin him to the wall. I meant to ask you what you shot me for, I proclaim, half nonsensically. Finally turning his eyes up to me, he lets out a slow sound, like a hollow moan, and then begins to nearly cry. I just don't understand, he exclaims, only barely understandable. I shot you so many times, why I even shot myself so many times, but so far every dang soul I try to kill only comes back as a ghost. He holds up his hands in the weak symbol of a finger pistol. How do you suppose that makes any sense? Presently, I'm astonished by what he says. I push him back into the wall and step away. Unfortunately for me, though, he slides through the wall gracefully. For he is a phantom. Now realizing that I tangled with the ghost of a murderer, I turn over to grab his spiritual pistol, only to find that it too died upon landing on the floor and is now side by side with his own ghost. Ugh, I shudder at the sight. This one was written by Etherbot. Ladies and gentlemen, the ringing of that phone bell means mystery, adventure. 
Nero Wolf's office, Archie Goodwin speaking. What? You're expecting Mr. Wolf at your place in three hours? Your place is where? <laughs> yes. Well, I'm expecting Hedy Lamar in 15 minutes. Yeah, but, mister, we're both out of luck. <laughs> Archie, what are you babbling about? There's a character on the phone who's laboring under the naive delusion that you're about to make a trip upstate. His name? Finley, he said. In that case, he's quite correct. Yeah, he's quite the, uh... uh yes, Mr. Finley. Mr. Wolf will be there. Yeah, goodbye. I should need some beer, Archie. The bottle opener's in the right-hand drawer. Thank you. What one of us needs is a psychiatrist. You're voluntarily leaving your happy home, exposing yourself to the element, and trusting your only life to a savage automobile? I am. Oh, oh, oh. somebody's offered you the United States Treasury, huh? Mr. Finley happens to grow orchids. Among them, he has developed a plant possessing spurred libelli. I have an opportunity to purchase a couple of the plants, therefore... I don't believe it. But Archie, according to the reports I have received, he has produced a strain of black cypripidium. Oh, well, in that case. But, Mr. Wolf, while it's true that black may be the color of your true love's hair, it is also true that black is the color of funerals. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the detective genius who writes the knife and fork, the greatest tools ever invented by man. The ponderous, brilliant, and unpredictable Nero Wolf, created by Rex Stout, and brought to you in the person of Mr. Sidney Greenstreet. case of the Phantom Fingers actually had nothing to do with black orchids. The first act was played in an old house at the end of an old dirt road. It was short and simple. As short as life. And as simple as murder. Joe, I didn't believe the letters I got. Didn't believe them until now. I've been a lonely man. No wife, children. Joe, it was all coming to you after I died. There was no need for you to steal from me. All you had to do was wait. Joe, that gun. Put it down. No. 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 Archie. Yes, Mr. Wolf. How much longer? Oh, an hour, maybe. Why? I'm a fool. Yeah, well, payday's tomorrow. I refuse to agree with you. <laughs> Besides, the trip's been fine so far, huh? So there's snow on the road, but... Boy. Uh, well, it's nice snow. Pretty soon it'll be spring, and in the spring... If you mention old Tidmas once more, I shall strangle you. Uh, no, no, it's against the law. But you know, if that snow melts much faster, the trees won't look so pretty. Trees, are they really necessary? Uh-huh. People cut them down and make paper out of them. And they take the paper and make dollar bills. <laughs> Mr. Wolf, we're surrounded by future thieves. I prefer the finished product. What on earth is that? Sounds like a river. Indeed. Except there aren't any rivers around here. Hey! Yeah? Up ahead! What? Huh? It's a river. Only it isn't a river. It's wet. It's wet and it's got waves on it. Had to start raining, too. Nature. Fui. The road behind us is covered with water. 
Just have to keep going onward and upward. Would you like to recite Excelsior to me? I sure. Shades of night were falling fast when through an alpine village passed... An idiot of your caliber, no doubt. Oh. <sighs> An infernal engine has died. No, no, the road dips up ahead. And where it dips, there's a junior Mississippi growing up. Splendid. Not so splendid. We can't go back and we can't go forward. Why not? They didn't build this model to swim. No foresight. What do we do now? Well, we could abandon the car and, uh... Walker, you mad? Are you seriously suggesting I indulge in a foot race with the flood? Yeah, well, not seriously, but, uh... Well, you've decided to give the car a swimming lesson? No. There's what looks like a cow path leading off the highway. To your right. Maybe it's a road. We progress. We now follow the footstep of the cow. Ah, it is a road. An old dirt road. Not only that, it goes up. Is that good? Theoretically. They might get above the water that way. And if the theory failed? Mr. Wolf, how are you on the Australian crawl? Hey. There's been another car on this road before us. You can see the tire tracks in the mud. Interesting. An indication that there are other maniacs about. I myself would not have chosen this particular spot to picnic in. That's not that. There's somebody lying on the road. People have peculiar habits. Ignore him and drive on. Uh Uh-uh. Hold on a moment. Mr. Wolf, you better come out here. My madness has its limits. The answer is no. Serious, Archie? Very serious. Oh, very well. Uh, mm. uh. Uh. Oh, yeah, still oh, alive, but... Uh, man's been shot. He's uh, mummy. Joe. Uh, Joe. Don't forgive stealing. Don't, uh, uh. So much for that. Pick him up, Archie. Put him in the car. Might be bad for him to be moved. No. There is nothing that can be bad for him. He's dead. Is this blasted road leading anywhere, Archie? Well, it seems to be a clearing up ahead. Maybe. Hey, it's a house. Splendid. I'm not so sure. It's perched up on top of a cliff, surrounded on three sides by nothing. On the side facing us, there's a deep ravine and a small wooden bridge. Island in the air. Hmm. Yeah. High enough to keep above water, maybe, but... Now, that bridge doesn't look too good. Rain may have weakened it. I have no choice, Archie. I have no intention of being drowned in these barbaric surroundings. The bridge, Archie. Okay. Hold on. Oh, that thing's collapsing under us. Now, momentum, you sir. Well, if it doesn't, 37 blondes are going to be wearing black. Correction, 38. I forgot the one in Gimbel's bargain basement. Hey, made it. The bridge will never be the same, though. There's a car ahead of us in front of the house. A car from which our friend, our dead friend, was thrown. Only one set of car tracks in the mud along the road, and here... And all we have to do is walk in, ask for the owner of the house, and, uh... Possibly. Possibly not. Archie, go through the corpse's pockets. Well, that's not cricket. Yeah, all right, all right. I'm going through. 
There's not much on him. Handkerchief. Silver. Driver's license. The name was uh, James Miller. Address Garner Lane. Walden. I've got an idea this is Garner Lane, Mr. Wolf. In which case, someone named Joe was looking after the house for him, committed theft, and murdered Miller. Miller's body was then dumped on the road in the hopes that the floods would wash the body away. No one at the house seemed to have noticed their arrival. No? Well, let's go in and ask for Joe, huh? Very well. Uh, oh. Uh, mm. uh, hard. With the bridge down, there's absolutely no way of getting on or off this bridge. Except for a mountain goat. I don't know any mountain goats. <laughs> I used to know a plain goat once, though. Indeed. He ran at the fifth at Jamaica. Stop mourning. I never mourned her. Also, I never win bets on horse races. <laughs> That's why I continue to work for you. That is also why you had better ring the door. Okay, okay. Nobody's going to break a leg rushing to open the door. I suppose you try. I have it more than enough of the weather. Is that polite? Besides, the killer may have some more bullets in that gun. Are you afraid? Sure. Pooey, the door, Archie. But old Dr. Titmouse would say... Well, never mind. Mm. Hey, somebody was careless leaving the door open like that. On the other hand, does the spider ever shut its web? The answer is no. Are we flies? Yeah. Out of my way, Archie. There are lights up ahead. Must be the living room. Excuse me. Uh, sure, sure, your excuse. Uh, do you live here, sir? Do we? No, don't you? Of course not. This is very strange. I came out to see the people who live here, or the person. I found the door open and no one about. I've been sitting in this corner now for a long time. Oh, it's a pity no one offered you a plum pie. Then you could have stuck in your thumb. You saw no one enter, sir? Uh, no one at all. I didn't want to go any further. It would have seemed like crying. Perhaps you had better come along with us. Well, all right. You know, this place, it has an evil atmosphere. It certainly has. What it needs is fresh air. Hooray. This would be the living room door. A job it. It is. Looks as pretty as a picture. Abby. Oh. Hello. Well, just think of it. Five minutes ago, you know, I didn't know you existed. And you didn't know I existed. And now... Archie, your existence would have a sudden end unless you keep quiet. Excuse us for intruding, Miss... Intruding? Oh, but I really should ask you to excuse me. You do not live here? I wish I did, but... You see, I've been out walking. I live maybe a whole mile from here, and then when the flood began, I, I thought I'd come in here and stay for a while. You found? An empty house. That's not what I found. <laughs> As old Dr. Tidmouse has often said... Go through the rest of the house, Archie. Go through the rest... Yeah, well, never mind. I'll, uh... What's down? Somebody's walking. Coming downstairs. I'll go and see. Meet your guests in one of several pieces as you prefer. You what? Oh. Hiya, folks. Ah, who's the last? That's very funny. I think I'll live. Uh, uh. May I ask why? Because this here ain't my dump. I was just casing the joint. I mean, I was just taking a stroll. Through the house? I'm eccentric. Oh, clever. However, I think you'd better stay. 
Why? Because you may turn out to be the owner of this house after all. I rather think introductions are in order. Well, I'm Peg Shirley. Yeah, my name is Wagner. Joseph Wagner. Uh, Lewis. How about you, Stroller? Cragen. Sam Cragen. Hmm. Peg, Louis, Sam. Mr. Cragen, while you were strolling up here, did you notice anyone else about? No. There was no one outside when Archie and I entered. The bridge is down, effectively cutting us off from further visitors. We may assume, therefore, that we are the only people in on about this house. Yeah, it's cozy, ain't it? Which further means that one of you three is a murderer. Am I? Am I? The murderer is the person who owns or lives in this house. All three of you deny being that person. Conclusion, one of you is a liar. Oh, I, I, that. Oh, I hardly expected the full immediate confession. However, we are absolutely isolated here. No one is going to come or leave until we have a killer. You know, you can't really keep us here. The flood can and will. Remember, the bridge is no longer. So you see, just the five of us alone. No one else inside the house. No one outside. Therefore, <laughs> Correction, Mr. Wolf. Maybe it's a branch or something tapping against the door. Unlikely. Archie. Okay, I'll go see who or what it is. Oh, hey. Oh, I got him. Somebody shut the door. Yeah, all right, I get it. A disreputable and unwashed gentleman. Head badly hurt. Is he conscious, Archie? Hey, uh, I don't know. He's mumbling something. Legs pushed off. Bells and legs. He's passed out. I guess he was trying to say that somebody pushed him out on a ledge. Side of the cliff, maybe. He must have regained consciousness and crawled to the house. Where'll I put him, Mr. Wolf? Bedroom, I suppose. You need first aid. You can't get a doctor. Cregan, where are the bedrooms? Yeah, one right up at the head of the stairs. And don't ask me how I happen to know. We shan't, Archie. Okay. I'll need somebody to help me carry him up without shaking him too badly. Cregan? Okay. As for the rest of you, Mr. Wagner, Miss Shirley, I suggest we return to the living room. But I don't see any reason why we should take orders from you. One of you is a murderer. I include Mr. Cregan, of course. Oh, but that poor man wasn't dead. Not for lack of trying. However, I was not referring to him. You mean... You mean someone else has been killed? Precisely. That is why I hope we should not hear another knocking at the door. It could only be a corpse. <laughs> Archie. And Cregan. Yeah. The injured man? Still out. Probably got a concussion. Uh, did he say anything further? Well, he babbled a bit. I don't know if... Uh, we should assume we're among friends, Archie. Exactly what did he say? Well, he was pushed over the edge of the cliff because he saw Miller killed. Ah. Did he also see who? No. Passed out before he had a chance. He's an old tramp, Mr. Wolf. He was bumming his way through the country when he saw the murder. He must have decided on a touch of blackmail and receiving a concussion instead, which may last for hours or for days. <gasps> Somebody's playing with the lights. Some fool. Yeah, the switch was over this way. Ah. Ah, lights are on again. Whose idea was that? And I had nothing to do with this. Me neither. Miss Shirley, why did you scream? Well, someone brushed against me in the darkness. You were standing? Uh, near the table, this way. Archie? Oh, nothing on the table except a bunch of keys on a ring. 
Hey, something screwy. Why should a guy put the lights out just to deposit a bunch of keys on a table? Obvious. Without doubt, those are the keys of this house. Possession of them will have disclosed which of you lives here and which of you therefore killed Miller. It's late. I shall sleep down here, lacking an elevator to transport me upstairs. The elevator's lacking. Yes, the rest of you should be able to find bedrooms upstairs. Good night. Archie. Yeah? Follow them upstairs. Spend the night awake. Okay. Good heavens, Archie. On my way. What's cooking up here? Uh, somebody's playing with the lights. I'll strike a match. Get on half die. I got a flashlight. Oh, yeah. oh, here it is. Light switch. You know, this putting out of lights is getting to be somebody's bad habit. Well, all three of you seem to be okay. Stay here. Where, where are you going? Transfer room, right here at the head of the stairs. Think of all your good deeds while I'm gone. All right, downstairs again. What again? Oh, dear. What happened? Well, it was more than a bunch of keys this time. Oh, that knife. There's blood on it. There should be. I just pulled it out of a man's heart. Oh, wow. Well, Mr. Wolf, one of these three babies doused the lights, popped into the transfer room, deposited the knife in his chest, and popped right out again. The knife you're holding? Yeah. Intelligent of you to wrap a handkerchief around the handle. Well, whoever killed the tramp didn't have time to fool around with gloves, so... There should be prints on the knife handle. Satisfactory, Archie. That's mild enthusiasm. Archie, on that desk, an ink pad. Yeah. Miss Shirley, mm -hmm. you carry face powder, of course? Yes, I do. Archie will need it to bring out the prints on the knife. He will then fingerprint each of you. Compare your prints with those on the knife. And we shall have a murderer to hand over to the police. Archie, will you begin, please? They are, Mr. Wolf. Three cards labeled with Miss Shirley's name, Cregan's, and Wagner's. Their respective prints are on each card. Good. I have the knife here. Several quite distinct prints on it. It should be child's play to, uh... Hmm. Archie. Yeah? Take your own prints and mine. What? Do as I say quickly. Yes, sir. All right, give me your thumb. Thank you. Now mine. Thank me. There's something wrong. Something wrong and deadly loose in this house tonight. Well, there's a card with your prints and mine. Thank you. Now you got five cards all together. So I have. Uh, Archie. What now? Take the ink pad and a fresh card with you. Where am I going with him? Upstairs. But, Mr. Wolf, there's nobody upstairs except the corpse. Precisely. It is his friends I want. Oh, this is so ridiculous. I'm tired of this. Archie. Yeah, I got the dead man's prints. Will all of you please sit? All right. <laughs> Good heavens, young woman. Be careful. We want no accidents. Sorry, I caught my high heels in the rug. Archie, the card with the corpse's prints on it. Hey, yes, sir. Thank you. Hmm. You know, I've had quite enough of this nonsense. Have you, Mr. Wagner? Yes, so have I, Mr. Wolf. Also, I don't think you know what you're doing. Perhaps not. However, I have something rather interesting to tell all of you. There is no one in this house besides yourselves, except, of course, for the dead man upstairs. 
There is no one on the rock on which this house stands except for another dead man in our car. Look, we already know all that. Bear with me. We may rule out secret passages, unusual hiding places, or anything of that esoteric and childish nature. We may also rest assured that no one has come to or left this house or rock within the last few hours. That means we're kind of hermetically sealed here, huh? Meaning also that whoever was here when the tramp was killed is still here. Still here in this room. Correct, Archie. Now then, I have checked the dead tramp's prints against those on the knife. Theoretically, suicide was possible. However, the prints do not match. That guy was in no condition to kill himself anyway. True. And I checked Archie's prints and mine against those on the knife. No similarity. Oh, but no one suspected either of you. Thank you, but I had to be thorough. That left only the three of you. I compared your cards and the prints on them with the prints on the handle of the knife. And? I want you to remember one thing very clearly. We're the only living people in this house or on this rock of land. No tricks are possible and may be ruled out. All right, so what? This. The prints on the handle of the knife that pierced the heart of the man upstairs do not match his prints or... The prince of anyone in this room. No, I wouldn't match. Would you mind saying this again? He doesn't have to. On those cards, Mr. Wolf has the prince of everybody here. And yet none of them match the prince on the knife handle. But, well, in that case, who or, or what killed him? There must be someone else in the house. I give you my word, there is not. Hey, you thinking about ghosts or something? Ghosts never leave fingerprints. I... I, I've got to get away. I can't stand this. Me too. Come on, lady. But I, I'll come along with you, if you don't mind. Mr. Wolf. Let them go. The bridge is down. They can't get far. Okay. I don't get it. Get what? On the fingerprint business. And who killed Miller plus the tramp? The identity of the killer, Archie, is quite obvious. It is? To who? To whom? Who's whom? <laughs> That's a joke. Yeah, I'm stalling for self-respect. You know? Uh, of course I do. I have no conclusive proof, however. I had hoped the fingerprints would be of assistance there, but they proved to be phantoms. I'm still smarting about the other thing. You know, it's at times like this that I almost agree with you about my intelligence. Lack of intelligence? Yeah, well, don't rub it in. Don't rub it in. Just go ahead. Yeah, well, maybe you better rub it in. From now on, you may refer to my brain in the negative. In the negative? Bless you, Arch. What I've just done, I don't know, but can I have a raise? No. I'll take it back. You can't. Get the others in at once. Mr. Wolf, you now have the appearance of Mr. Wolf being surrounded by several dozen bottles of beer. What have I done? You've explained the fingerprints, Archie. Hurry. I don't want to keep a killer in suspense. Here. No, I'm very nervous. I don't like Archie. They're all here. Yes, but they're all making a noise. Stop them. Miss Shirley, Mr. Craig, and Mr. Wagner, will you please shut? Uh, uh, Mr. Wolf, they have. Thank you, Archie. Now then, I have known for some little time which of you killed the tramp and Miller. I lack proof, however. And you, you have it now? I will admit for a while I was flummoxed by the negative evidence of the fingerprints. They seem to indicate that the tramp was murdered by a phantom. However, the word negative itself has solved the minor problem. Minor to whom? To whom? Never mind. Shh. Archie, what is the salient feature of a film negative? 
Well, I suppose it's the fact that the docks are light and the lights are dark. Huh? Precisely. A reversal, then, of the actual appearances. Now, are there any similarities between filmed images and fingerprints? Well, in a way, you could call the whorls and hollows that determine the individual characteristics of a fingerprint the lights and darks. Huh? You could. I shall. Miss Shirley, would you help in an experiment? Of course. Thank you. Archie, I want you to take Miss Shirley's fingerprints once again. Okay. Pad and card. Here you are, Miss Shirley. All right. Archie, right. quick. Huh? Grab her arm. I, I got it. Well, Usually I don't have to be coached, but... Let go of me. What are you trying to do? Miss Shirley, you already have pressed your fingers on the ink pad once. Why were you about to do it a second time? Well, I... I just wanted to make a better impression. Hurry. Archie, wipe some of the ink off her fingers. Oh, but then it won't be any good. It'll be very good, Archie. I've well, done it. And take the print. No, no, let go of me. Maybe I never hurt women if I can help it, but right now I won't be able to help it. Mr. Wolf wants your prints all over again, so down on the night's white card. No. no. Hey, thanks. Will you let me have that card now, Archie? Sure. In the meanwhile, hold on to Miss Shirley. A pleasure. Indeed. Would you continue to think so, Archie, if I told you that Miss Shirley's first name is not Peg, but happens to be Josephine, which the diminutive is Joe? Glad they're fixing the bridge. I was beginning to think we'd be here forever. Truly, we have been. <laughs> you know, if those black orchids have been holding their breath waiting for you, they're going to be red in the face. Hey, new breed, red orchids, huh? Ah, uh, gee, must you talk? Well, it's fun. Also, you've been holding out on me about the case. I surrender. Okay. You know, when we compared the new prints of Josephine with those on the knife, you could have knocked me over with a sash weight. They were identical. Naturally, she stabbed the tramp. Yeah, but what was the fingerprint gag? She merely loaded her fingers so heavily with ink that she falsified the markings. She filled up the hollows and walls with ink. The result was that ridges became hollows and vice versa, in the same fashion that a photographic negative falsifies lights and darks. You got that when I mentioned the word negative? It works, huh? Try it sometime. Yeah, the very next bank I robbed. But you said you knew who killed Miller and the tramp even before you exposed the fingerprint gimmick. How? We knew Miller's murderer lived in this house. Had been stealing from him and so on. Stealing what? Cash, of course. He, as the girl admitted, was an eccentric, kept his money on the property. Cregan had probably heard of it, hence his casing of the house. Yeah? Our problem, therefore, was to discover who lived in this house. All three suspects denied it. Josephine Shirley told us, as you may remember, that she'd gone for a walk and then been driven by the flood to this house where we found her. Well, that's what she said. It could have been. No, because, as you may also remember... She tripped at one point over the living room rug and mentioned why? Sure. Sure, she said she was wearing high heels and... Uh-oh, because out in the country there are no pavements, so girls don't go for a walk in high-heeled shoes. Therefore, she hadn't gone for a walk. Therefore, she was lying. Therefore, she killed Miller and... <laughs> I should have noticed those heels myself. You should have, Archie. Your trouble, I suspect, was that uh, you didn't notice the feet for the lake. 